coming up next on Contemplate. We're going we're gonna to get into this book. We're going to get into what's true. So I just want to say that, um, that, that we're going to press into God, and it's going to be complicated. And when we come here, we need to come ready to work with our minds because we are smart, and I absolutely reject the idea completely that when you, when you accept Christ, you leave your brain at the door. That's nonsense. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, and this is Contemplate. So was Matthias the right choice to replace Judas? We may never know for sure, but today we're going to learn some important things to help us make the right choices ourselves. Acts 1 verses 12 through 26 is the place to be in your Bible, and here's Pastor David. So let's talk about Matthias. Let's talk about this and see what's going on. Remember, if you remember, you may not remember, you may not have been here. Um, when I first started on Acts, I talked about whether or not Acts, whether it was descriptive or prescriptive. Descriptive meaning, is it simply describing to us what happened so that we know what happened? It's just a description. Hey, here's what happened, then this happened, then that happened. And we're not necessarily supposed to, to assume from that that everything that happened was right. Or is it prescriptive? In other words, is it showing us a model for how we're supposed to act now? Does it tell us what to do, essentially? And the answer to that was yes. It is prescriptive and descriptive at the same time, right? Some of it's descriptive and some of it's prescriptive. So we have a passage here about this, about this disciple, this 12th disciple being chosen. And, and we got to kind of work through whether that's a descriptive passage, simply describing what happened and not a model for us, or whether it's prescriptive, telling us how it ought to have happened and, in fact, how we ought to be. So there are two theories. First theory, this is the easy one. First theory is, hey, it's prescriptive. It was correct. It's the way the disciples should have done it. They came up with a criteria. They pick a couple guys. They cast a lot and choose one. There are, the Old Testament does have casting lots in it. It's not forbidden as a practice. And so therefore, Matthias was the guy. Twelfth disciple, no problem. Second theory is a little bit more complicated. Second theory is that Paul, the apostle, should have been the twelfth disciple. And here's the reason. Here's, I'll give you the reasons for that theory. It's pretty interesting. So here's the argument for that. In the verse 5 of chapter 1, if you just go back, probably on the same page that you're on if you got your Bible out, it says, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus has told them, they had God with them, Jesus, then he says, you're going to be a few days in Jerusalem hanging out by yourselves, and then God's going to come to you again, the Holy Spirit. Somehow, these guys choose those few days when God's not around to choose the 12th disciple. Why don't they wait? Why don't they wait? That, that, that's, that's the first argument. Who chose all the other disciples? Jesus did. He chose all of them. Every disciple had been chosen by Jesus. Now, ask yourself this. We've gone through this story, for those who have been around. Jesus died, he rose again, and he was with them for about 40 days. Why didn't he name the 12th disciple? He was there. He was certainly aware of the scripture. He didn't forget. So why didn't he name the 12th disciple? Because it wasn't time, maybe. Remember, Paul 
did not start his ministry until the early church had already kind of started going. He had been an enemy. We'll find out all about Paul. Very cool story. But Paul wasn't ready to be a disciple yet. Now, Jesus could have named somebody and, in fact, could have named Matthias. How do we know that? Because it says right here that Matthias is one of those people who met the criteria of having been with him the whole time right up to the ascension. So he had been standing there on that mountain with Jesus a few days before, and Jesus could have been like, as he's kind of floating away, been like, Matthias, 12th disciple, bro. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. So, so they've taken this upon themselves when Jesus didn't do it, and they're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to do it. Okay? We never hear about Matthias again. His name is never mentioned again in Scripture. Uh, that's, that's one of the evidences that maybe this wasn't the right thing. Now, there are other disciples who never get mentioned again either. He's not the only one, but we never do hear about him. Christian history has Matthias as a martyr dying for the gospel um, was killed for his faith. So we know that he stayed true. But we never hear about him again in Scripture. Um, and here's the thing. Disciples created what I call a false dichotomy with false criteria. So false criteria. They came up with this idea that the person who needed to be the next disciple needed to be someone that had been with him the whole time. Well, that makes sense. right? If we're trying to figure it out on our own, We would probably say, yeah, we should probably choose from those who have been around the whole time, who were with Jesus, who saw him rise from the dead, and so on. That that makes sense. But it wasn't, it doesn't say that God told them this. It just says that they made this up. And then it says that of those people that met that description, they picked out two. So somehow, within that group of people who all qualified, they had to go in and say, we've got this guy, and we got this guy. For some other reason, you know, okay, all these guys do it, but this guy's got really good hair and this guy's got, you know, he's, he's really, he can run really fast. I don't know. I don't know how they chose. I don't know what, what beyond that they used. Probably not those things, I'm guessing, but you never know. I mean, they had to run from people sometimes. So um, in any case, we don't know why, but they chose these two. But here's the thing. If they can choose two out, why couldn't they choose one? Because you can't flip a coin over one, right? So it's kind of like, I'm going to do everything, Lord, right up to the point of I'm going to get you down to two choices so that then I can take it off of myself and say it's you that made the choice. That's sort of what happened, seems to have happened here. They created what we call a false dichotomy. Hey, God, it's got to be either this one or this one. Oh, you mean it can't be a third one? No, no, no. We're just going to give you these two. You pick which one. Here we go. Flip. Right? Um, I don't think so. I don't think that 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 makes a lot of sense for them to do that. And then we have Paul called specifically by the risen Christ. Specifically called by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. We're going to get into that story. He's the only other person I know of where that's the case. Remember, Jesus chose all the disciples. And then he takes Paul and comes and reveals himself to him very specifically. This did not happen with Matthias. So you have 11 disciples who Jesus chose. Then you have Paul that Jesus appeared to specifically. And then you have Matthias who they flipped a coin for essentially. And by the way, they didn't literally flip a coin. Probably they probably had some other kind of lots of system. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. If the, if the elders of this church did that when they chose me, I don't think you guys would probably have been a big fan of that. They get a couple people and they're like, snake eyes. David, you're the guy, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to do that. So what's, what's my theory? You can probably guess. Um, I'll be clear that I do not think that casting lots is something prescriptive. It's not prescriptive, okay? We have the Holy Spirit with us now all the time. 
So we're literally guided by God. We don't need to flip coins to discern his will. We discern his will through prayer and through his word and through patiently waiting for his answers. Right? We cannot shortchange that process by picking alternatives and then flipping a coin. We've got to wait on him. So what should we learn from what happened here? And by the way, Paul, I mean, come on. He wrote like half the New Testament. This is pretty strong evidence that Paul was probably supposed to be the next disciple. I'm not saying it for sure. I'm just saying when you look at the passage, it has kind of a strange thing about it. It doesn't feel like with the rest of what we'll see when people are listening to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't feel like that in this section. So we need to learn patience. However you want to look at the issue of Matthias, whether he was supposed to be the 12th disciple or whether they were supposed to wait for Paul. Either way, whichever theory you hold, there's no question that they rushed into it. There's no question that they moved more quickly than they needed to. Recognizing that there's a prophecy and needs to be a new disciple does not mean you have to do it today. Especially when Jesus has just told you, hey, in a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to be there. And he's going to guide you into all truth. They already know that about the Holy Spirit. So for them to move so quickly did not show a lot of patience. We saw this several weeks ago when we were talking about the disciples. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And they say, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel to us now? He's just like, whoa, tap the brakes. You guys are moving too fast. This is not, it's not time for that yet. But, but there was an impatience. There was kind of, hey, let's make this thing happen now. But see, even good things, even good things we need to wait for. We need to wait for God's timing. Even if it was a good thing to name a new disciple, we got to wait for God's timing. That guy, Will, I just told you, but I'm going to tell you another story about him. Will... We go to Honduras on a mission trip. I don't know if you've ever been to Central America, but if you have, you'll realize that a church service that starts at 6 o'clock starts at about 7.15. They don't start on time. It's, it's very much like 6 o'clock means, hey, I better start thinking about getting ready to go to the church. And so my buddy Will, who's, you know, not United States of America, man, he's, he's hey, we start on time. Roughly on time, right? We, we, we don't always start on time at church, but we, we start close to on time. So he's, he's used to that. And so we're kind of there. There's some kids there, and there are a few families outside the church, but everybody's not there yet, and people are just kind of running around, and we're just chilling. But Will has kind of got his feathers ruffled. He's kind of, you know, he doesn't want, let's get this thing started. Let's get this thing going. And it was a good thing. He wanted church to start. He wanted to start going, but he's being very impatient. So he goes to the pastor of the church, and he says, hey, I want to teach these guys a song. So he's thinking, hey, I'm going to get all of them in there and get this church service started. I'm going to start by just teaching them a song. Since the pastor won't get it going himself, I'll get it going. And the pastor's like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Let's have you teach a song. Except that Will didn't realize that the pastor was thinking also, but there's no way I'm going to do that before everybody gets here and we get started. So although he wanted this thing to happen, he wanted to, to, to get everything going, he was trying to make that happen by singing this song, it didn't work. We still, it was 7.15 or whatever by the time we got in there. Will just assumed that the pastor had sort of forgotten or chosen not to do that. But he was wrong. Because as soon as the service started, he says, Will, come on up here and teach everybody your song. And of course, Will didn't want to teach him a song at that point. Now, now it was going to make the service last even longer. Which, you know, he definitely wasn't looking forward to. Again, he's an American, you know. Um, North American. I guess they're Americans too. Central American. But, so he's thinking, hey, uh, this isn't great. So he gets up there. 
And to make matters worse, he just assumes that he can call on the interpreters and they're going to be able to interpret this song into Spanish so he can teach it to people. So he calls a couple uh, female interpreters that we had and says, hey, come up and help me do this song. And they just looked at him and said, no way. That's not, because that's not how music works. You can't just interpret music like you can interpret words. It's, you, there's rhyming schemes and there's all this stuff. It doesn't work like that. You know, the syllables have to fit into the line. And they're like, we can't do that on the fly. So now he's standing up there. He doesn't know how to speak Spanish. This guy's about 6'4", lanky gringo, looking like an idiot. You ever just been embarrassed for somebody else? They're the one who should be embarrassed, but you're the one who's like all nervous about it and feels bad. That's how all of us were. We're just so embarrassed for him, for the United States, for, I mean, just... It's bad, right? So, but he's impatient. He wanted to get it going. In the end, he didn't get anything he wanted, and he made an idiot of himself. You know, trying to trying to do his song in Spanish. He's from the South. He can barely speak English. I'm kidding. If you're from the South, I'm kidding. Sort of, right? Um, no, I lived there for for six years. It was great. They have a lot of neat words um, that we don't have. So, you may hear them from time to time. Okay, so, so he's impatient, right? Even though he wanted something good. He wanted church to go. And he wanted, hey, it wasn't like he just wanted church to go in so he could get done and go somewhere. He really was serious about wanting the gospel to be preached and so on. It was a good thing. But his impatience caused him to cause more trouble than good. He told me, because I called him this week, and he said if I was going to tell that story about him, I had to tell one about myself. So now you get one on me. Um, after a couple years in the practicing law, several years in, uh, I had finally made some money and, and, and was able to, to get a new car. Up to that time, I had been driving a Kia Rio. I don't know if anybody's ever driven a Kia Rio, but they do zero to 60 in about four days, something like that. I got pulled over by a cop on foot, okay? Just ran me down. Just kind of like, all right, all right, hey, you know. All right, I'm sorry. So it was time to get a new car. And I'm thinking to myself, I got very impatient very quickly. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you provided some money. It's clear that I need a new car. I need a Camaro. The new Camaros would come out. These things were looking sweet. And I'm thinking, I'm getting one of these cars um, because I want a sports car and I've never had a sports car before. And so long story short, basically I get really into these Camaros. Within a, a, a little while, it ends up changing to a Mustang. I end up buying this Mustang. Kind of just like that, without thinking too much, without praying enough, without thinking it over. It's a good thing. I didn't need a new car, but I just pff, impatient right into it. So I get this Mustang. I get it home. I put the black racing stripes on it, tint the windows, get the muffler that's really loud. And about two weeks later, I realized I don't like driving a sports car. It's terrible. I'm sitting way down here. I got to get up and down out of this little tiny car and it's loud and it's you know, unless you're wanting to drive really fast, which, you know, you can only do that so often. I'm just wanting to get to work, you know. And I didn't even like it. But I was so impatient about getting it that I moved so fast. Now I owed all this money in the car I didn't even like. Ended up giving it to my wife. Well, she did like it. So good for her. Um, but the point is, is that I got impatient. And I didn't end up getting what I wanted. I ended up getting something I didn't want. I still had to pay for it. But I didn't get what I wanted. We have to be careful that even when we're trying to do something good, we do it the right way. Here's, I'm, I'm, this is going to be my last point, okay? And this point's a little bit more complicated. Uh, and, and so I want to, before I say this, I just, this is something I just have been wanting to say so that we're all clear on something. 
There are a lot of people who don't realize that Christians, as Christians, we're called to be smart. We're called to be thinkers. We're called, look, this is a complicated book, right? This is a complicated book. We're called to know what's in here, to understand it, how it all works together. We're called to try to discover more and more about who the God of the universe that created, you know, uh, asteroids and suns and planets and people. We're, we're called to know who that is. We're called to be smart. But there's this strain of thought out there that's pushed by certain people that says Christians are not smart. That religious people are not smart and that Christians in particular are big dummies. But that's not true. That's false. In fact, if you, if you knew how many of the really smart people in the world were Christians, you, you might be surprised. But Christianity requires us to be smart. We're to bring all of our abilities into the kingdom of God. All of them. Our brains too. Okay? There are those who suggest that on a Sunday morning, a pastor should not get too complicated about what he's preaching. That he should keep it simple that people either don't want to think or they're not able to. I reject that out of hand. We're here to grow, right? If we just came to sing a song and bob our head and give somebody a hug and go home, that's fine. But that sounds more like, I don't know, a rock concert or Christmas dinner or something like that. Where we're just looking for something, some emotional thing. Look, we're here to know God. It's going to get real here. We're going we're gonna to get into this book. We're going to get into what's true. So I just want to say that, um, that, that we're going to press into God. And it's going to be complicated. And when we come here, we need to come ready to work with our minds. Because we are smart, and I absolutely reject the idea completely that when you, when you accept Christ, you leave your brain at the door. That's nonsense. As a matter of fact, it is, it is so much more rich intellectually to be a Christian than to, than to do otherwise. And we'll find that out. Keep coming. We're going to get there. So when I'm talking about doing God's work, God's way, I'm, I'm talking about ethics. I'm talking about an ethical theory. Ethics is uh, the way we understand principles of what's right and wrong. That's what ethics is, right? So when we're thinking about ethics, we're thinking about means and ends. So Peter says, hey, we need to get a new disciple. That's an end. That's the end. And then he uses a certain means to get there. In this case, casting lots. He uses a means to get to an end, right? So, so means and ends, we've heard a means to an end before. We've heard that term. Um, if I need to pay my bills, that's the end, paying my bills. What's the means to that end? Getting a job. I get a job, that's my means to this end. So when we're thinking about ethics, we have to think about whether we're doing God's work God's way, meaning do the means and the ends, are they both righteous? Are they both good? And here's the problem. I've seen Christians sacrifice doing good things, doing good means to get to what they think are good ends. You could have a pastor who said, hey, I know God's called the church to grow. He's called my church to grow. We know that's true. It's right here in Acts. Let's grow, people. That's great. That's fantastic. But here's the thing. I can't say you've called the church to grow. Therefore, I can use any means I want to make that happen. I'll take money from the fund that's supposed to go to the missionaries to buy advertising. Because we know that what you want is for the church to grow. I'll water down the gospel so it'll appeal to more people. So they never have to hear anything hard. That way more people will come in. It'll be like a big Oprah show. And we'll all come and we'll all just, no one's ever going to be sad about anything. No one's ever going to be challenged. 
but that's not right. Or how about just a simple one? I just spend less time with my family than I ought to so that I can try to make the church grow. Now, now that's, that's on me. I've got, to, I've got to use proper means to proper ends. But on you, you've got to use proper means to proper ends also. You've got to do God's work God's way. Peter, we see, doing God's work, which is to say, seeing that a new disciple needs to be made, but we're questionable at least. I'm not saying for sure. We're very questionable about whether the means he used were God's way. It doesn't necessarily mean the means are even evil. But if they're not God's way, if they're not the right thing, then they're not right. And we have to think about that. We're called to do God's will God's way. We are not called to make things happen. You can, let, me just, let me just make things easy for you. You can't make anything happen. You can't do it, especially in the spiritual realm. You have no ability to bring into existence something good. Only God does that. So don't get yourself into the position where you say, the thing that I want is necessary or the thing that I want is good. Therefore, I can, I can figure out my own way to make it happen. Because when you start to do that, it's a very slippery slope. And soon you'll be willing to lie or cheat or steal or do any other thing to, because you feel it's justified by this end. It's called consequentialism. Consequentialism. Okay, There's six syllables for you. It means that you think that the ends justify the means. You've probably heard that before. The ends justify the means. Now you've got a good word for that. It's called consequentialism. We do it all the time. But here's the problem. People who are seeking to know whether they want to know Christ, they look at you, those of you who are believers. They look at you and they look at your actions. And you can say all day long that you did whatever you did because you wanted to get to to a good end. At the end, I was helping people or taking care of my family or whatever other thing you used to justify. But they don't care because they can see that your means were not right or, or were evil sometimes. And then you just look like a hypocrite. And what does that do for the gospel? What does that do for people who who are trying to know Christ? And they see you living this life where you justify doing wrong because you think that the ends are worth it. We can't do that. we got to do God's work God's way. The next time you face an ethical decision, I want you to think to yourself, am I doing God's work, which should be everything we're doing? Am I doing it God's way? I don't know whether Matthias was supposed to be the 12th disciple. I don't know. We'll find that out in heaven. And if, and if he was, I'm going to be like, cool. And if he wasn't, I'm going to be like, yes, I was right. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. <laughs> I won't be like that. I don't know about that. I do know this. I do know that here at Christ's church, we're going to think about what we do. When we have an ethical decision, we're going to consider it. Not just how's the quickest way to get to this end that we think is good, but is each step along that road right? Now, I'm not going to say a prayer here at the end. What I want you to do is I just want you to get quiet with God for a second. I just want you to slow down. Don't think about uh, Christmas candles. Don't think about what's going to happen later. I just want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. We're going to have some music, and, and we'll have some elders that will come up. If you need some prayer, do that. Don't be afraid to get some prayer if you need some prayer. But I want you to think about, hey, God, are there some things in my life that I've been justifying wrong actions because I've, because I've said that the end is good? Are there things coming up 
that I, the decisions that I have to make, that I really need to think through whether I'm doing what's right and honoring you. Do I need to repent for some things in the past? Do I need to get ready for things in the future? Let the Holy Spirit just kind of speak to you during this time. I hope God is speaking to you about how you're living for Him. And if you need some help making good choices or anything else, come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. We have a great big family of folks here that love Jesus and each other, and I know you'll be blessed. Get all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening. And be sure and check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church here on Contemplate.